0: It's time now for The Road, with pastor teacher, Steve Holt.
1: March 13th, 1997, over Phoenix, Arizona. A strange vehicle, traveled over most of the state, going about 30 miles an hour. And the pictures of it, it looks like an L, with lights across it, just traveling across the state. It brought quite a stir, thousands of people saw it, The governor had a press conference and made light of it, which caused an even greater controversy because so many had seen it. The government denied anything, but the people saw fighter jets over them. So fighter sorties were sent up alongside this uh, UFO, but then the military said that they didn't.
0: Welcome to another edition of The Road. We are so glad that you have joined us for this special message today. It's our vision to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ and to see you grow in the grace and knowledge of His love. If you're in the area, we welcome you to come out and join us for our Saturday night service beginning at 6 p.m. We meet at Chapel Hills Church located at 2025 Parliament Drive, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80920. On this edition of The Road, Pastor Steve continues his powerful study on spiritual warfare. Today, he'll be talking about UFOs, aliens, and haunted houses. What is the truth behind these phenomenons? Are they just scary stories told by the campfire? Or do they have a real place in the world we live in today? You'll definitely want to tune in for this entire message. So let's get right to the program. Here now is pastor teacher, Steve Holt, with part one of today's message entitled, UFOs, Aliens, and Haunted Houses.
1: This is the last part of this series on war and here's the title UFOs, aliens and haunted houses. I kid you not, that's what we're talking about tonight. Now, don't you have to turn there, but I want you to listen to Deuteronomy 29:29. 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29:29. 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. Now, I'm treading on ground full of hoaxes, misinformation, unreliable data, and legends. And so, there is a lot of misinformation, especially as it relates to this issue of UFOs and aliens and haunted houses. I started researching this years ago and then gave it a break. And now I'm back at it because it just felt like from all the questions I was getting in this series that we at least had to tackle it a little bit. And so, and so that's what we're going to do. You may never come to the road again after this. And that's okay, you know. There's, there's about 300 churches in the city you can go to. And I know we're weird on some things. So that's fine. But the key, the reason I said Deuteronomy 29, 29 is because there's a mystery. There's a lot of stuff that's a mystery about the Bible, there's stuff that are mysterious about what's happening in our world. We're talking we've been talking all these time, all these weeks and months about demons, there's mysteries. We're going to talk next week. I'm going to you're going to hear a story of one of the members of the road. I want him to give his testimony next week. It's going to be kind of funky. I was out at his ranch today and What he did to cleanse his house and then what happened is nothing less than demonic slash haunted house stuff. And uh, and it's it's crazy. And some of you are going to say, this is too weird for me. Dude, let's just sing Kumbaya and, you know, just read the Bible and only teach from that. Well, I think that's great, except that we do have something happening in our world today that is unprecedented. And I think I'm going to give you enough anecdotal evidence that you can take it for what, you, what it's worth. And listen, this is not, none of this stuff is do or die or make it or break it stuff. This is not what we, believe me, I do not want anybody coming out of, of the road feeling like that you need to be some expert on UFOs. Because I can tell you right now, there's, there's as much good information as there is misinformation, and you have to be so, so careful with that stuff. But this is a controversial topic, and I want to tackle it a little bit tonight. Uh, This has become such an issue, especially the era of UFOs, demons, haunted houses, and aliens, that there's now several major universities. One is in the Ivy League that gives courses on paranormal and psychic science. So that, can you imagine your kids paying? You're already paying, you know. If you went to one of those schools, you're paying sixty thousand a year, so your kid can go to a class on paranormal and psychic science. It is available. That's better than than some of the gender studies, though. So it actually might be more it actually might be more factual than some of that. Hollywood has capitalized on this with TV programs like Signs. And movies, galore. I tried to research that and there's too many to count. UFO Hunters on the History Channel, Spielberg's miniseries Taken in 2014. Hangar 1, the UFO Files, also on the History Channel. Another TV UFOs, Declassified here in 2015. Hangar 1, I watched several episodes this week. That's on the History Channel, History Channel 2. National Geographic Channel, Chasing UFOs. It's just too many to count. There's so much out there on this. Let me start with a quote though. It's a quote by Edmund Spencer. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all argument, and which cannot fail to keep man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is condemnation before investigation. So I think it's important that we look at this from the perspective of what we do know as semi, at least anecdotal, as well as some biblical information. Let's start with UFOs. Do they exist? Unidentified flying objects. The answer is yes and no. No, in that I don't believe a lot of the stuff that's out there because it's, it's pretty concocted. And even when you go on and put on YouTube and UFOs, and I mean, you see, you know, oh, I don't know. You know, that looks like Grandma Betsy's headlights, you know, that you suspended up in the air on a hill. And then, and then, and then there's a Capitol and all that right there. Um, but you'll be shocked what is out there. And we do have at least over 3,000 photographs that have been authenticated as UFOs. That is out there. Even the military would agree with that. March 13th, 1997 over Phoenix, Arizona. A strange vehicle traveled over most of the state going about 30 miles an hour. And the pictures of it, it looks like an L with lights across it just traveling across the state. It brought quite a stir. Thousands of people saw it. The governor had a press conference and made light of it which caused an even greater controversy because so many had seen it. The government denied anything, but the people saw fighter jets over them. So fighter sorties were sent up alongside this uh, UFO, but then the military said that they didn't. So, folks, let me just say, let me just start with this as we go into a presidential year. The press thinks you're idiots. They do. If you see any of the masquerade of what's happening on the political, they think you're idiots. You have really got to dig in these days. Because don't believe half of what you hear from the media. It happened in March. Okay, so this happened in March, but it was never reported until June 18th. And then on June 18th, every major newspaper in the United States picked up on it. March, April, May, June. There was a concerted effort, obviously, to disguise and even to delay that news for a purpose. Why the denial? Thousands of people saw it. No details have ever been given. Most famous is the Roswell incident, July 4th, 1947. An object landed in Roswell, New Mexico. Sheriff George Wilcox contacted Roswell Army Airfield regarding wreckage found by Mac Brazel on the Foster Ranch. Headlines, RAAF captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region, end quote. Army sealed off the area and confiscated everything. Major Jesse Marcel was assigned to investigate. Marcel and two counterintelligence corps agents, Sheridan Cavett and Lewis Rickett, drove out to the ranch where Brazel worked to examine and collect the wreckage. On July 8, 1947, the Public Information Office of Roswell Army Air Force made the startling announcement that they had recovered remains of a flying disc. But something strange happened. Within hours of the press release, a second press release rescinding the first press release. From Brigadier General Roger Ramey, Commander, 8th Army Air Force at Fort Worth Airfield, 400 miles away, claims that they had made an unbelievably foolish mistake. General Ramey said that somehow they incorrectly labeled a weather, this is the quote, weather balloon and its radar reflector as the wreckage of a crashed disk. Now almost everyone on both sides of this debate believes that this is a contrived cover story for something that the military and government covered up. Why is the subject classified? And if it was a weather balloon, why was it never produced? Why has the evidence never been shown? All kinds of stories have come from this incident. Some have even said there were four aliens and three were dead at the time. On October 26, 2007, Bill Richardson, who at that time was running for president of the Democratic Party nomination, was asked about releasing government files on Roswell. Richardson responded that when he was a congressman, he attempted to get information on behalf of his New Mexico constituents and Los Alamos labs. He was told that the information was classified. And this is what he said, that ticked me off. The government doesn't tell the truth as much as it should on a lot of issues. He promised to work on opening the files if he were elected as president. So the mystery of Roswell still remains. It's classified. We just don't know. But we do know something happened nine months later. Al Gore was born. It's true. He it was. So I just thought I'd throw that in. But if nothing happened, why is it classified? And if all it was was a weather balloon with reflectors, why was it never shown? In July 19th to the 26th in 1952, jets were scrambled over Washington National Airport that still have not been explained. UFOs harassed planes for about one week. You can look it up. You can see the front page of the Washington Times-Herald cover. Quote, jets alerted for saucers. It was so bad they had to shut down air traffic control for a week. The Washington Post cover story, quote, fiery objects outrun jets over capital. Never ever explained again. Thirteen astronauts have gone on record as having seen UFOs while on their missions. Now, just to give you a perspective on what it takes to be an astronaut and who these guys are, Ed Mitchell, the sixth of only 12 men who've walked on the moon, Apollo 14. He has a PhD in aeronautics from MIT, combat veteran of Korea, and the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Honor... On April 1996, Dateline, NBC said, NASA is covering up what really happened at Roswell, New Mexico. This is serious stuff, you guys. This is pretty interesting. If you get into it, I mean, you'll go, it's so deep, it's like, it, don't go there, don't go there. <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't been able to get anything done this week because I've been going there, Okay. I didn't even know it was a bye week for Georgia football because I was so into this stuff, but no. In 1951, 22-orbit Mercury capsule astronaut Gordon Cooper saw a vast armada of UFOs for a day and a half. Six years later, Cooper, while doing test pilot filming out of Andrews Air Force Base, filmed a flying saucer that landed on the dry lake bed the film was sent to Washington, D.C., and no one has ever seen it since. In his interview that you can listen to, I went online and listened to the interview with him. Um, he explains of several other eyewitness accounts. There's so much stuff, you guys. It, it took everything in me to just kind of narrow it down to these key ones because there's so much stuff like this. But this is, from, uh, this is from the interview. You can go put in YouTube, just put UFO or something like that, and then put, put down Gordon Cooper, and you can watch it. Um, He has testified before the United Nations that UFOs are visiting our planet. May 1996, he wrote to the United Nations, quote, I believe that these extraterrestrial vehicles and their crews are visiting this planet from other planets, which obviously are a little more technically advanced than we are on this earth. So that's, um, that's Gordon Cooper. Buzz Aldrin, Apollo 11, everybody on board, reported and videotaped a UFO you can go on and you can see, see it right off of, of the, uh, the capsule there um, no explanation's ever been given Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, July 21st 1969, Apollo 11 both saw lights in or near a crater on the moon and there were unconfirmed reports of seeing spacecraft there quote two large objects were watching us so not everybody's having hallucinations Not everybody is uh, on drugs or something. Competent, reliable people have seen them. There have been radar plottings thousands of times. There are photographs. There are 6,000 professional publications in English alone that talk about UFOs. Over 700 books from the 16th to the 20th centuries... There were over 300 books on UFOs before the 17th century. 57% of Americans believe in UFOs. 15% believe they've seen a UFO. How many of you here think you might have seen a UFO? Raise your hand. How many? be honest, it's okay. We won't put your name. Yeah, okay, here we go. Well, listen to this one. One to 3% of Americans claim they've been abducted. I'm just telling you what the facts are. I'm not saying I believe them all. That's about 5 million people. MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, very interesting network, interesting website. There have been over 70,000 cases over the past five decades that um, MUFON has investigated. They seem to defy logic in what they can do, the speed in which these craft can travel, what they leave behind, and the... Um, the appearance seems superhuman or technically way more advanced than us. The Yakima UFO study, the Topanish study among the native peoples, and especially in the four corners right out, right here in Colorado in the southwestern corner, reveal hundreds of sightings with photographs and videos. So what should we as Bible-rooted, reasonable sane, spirit-empowered, renewed-minded disciples believe. Let me give you my four thoughts. Can I give you four thoughts on this? Number one, I believe supposed UFOs and aliens are definitely being seen and do exist. Now, all the sightings are true, but I believe they do exist and they are out there. Number two, but I believe that rather than being extraterrestrial creatures from another galaxy or universe, they are interdimensional beings from the fourth dimension invading the third dimension. Number three, their activity, very much like the activity we see of cherubim, seraphim, and angels and demons in the Bible... Demons are disembodied beings that can take on human or unhuman appearance. Fallen angels from the fourth dimension that can do everything that an angel can do, but for malevolent purposes. Number four, thus, I believe UFOs and alien sightings are the activity of demons and Satan. And their activity will increase as we get closer to the close of the age. Even a substantial, this is what's really interesting. And this really comes from Jay Inman because we sat around the fire recently because I wanted to talk to him about it a little bit. He's as weird as I am. So (laughs) we're we're, kind of cut out of the same mold. Sort of weird Bible geeks and like dimensional weirdos. But even a substantial core group that are part of new age and UFO studies believe it's demons. That's pretty interesting. So they're not even Bible believers, not even Christians, but they believe it's demonic. So let's look at a passage, Ezekiel chapter 1. One of the weirdest passages in all of Scripture. And as we we look at Ezekiel 1, there was a book written by NASA engineer Joseph Bloomrich entitled The Spaceships of Ezekiel. This book concludes that the passage shown, the one we're going to look at, Wasn't the whole story, according to Bloomridge. He believes that the wheels within a wheel, which you'll understand when we read the passage, was extraterrestrial. But he goes one step further and claims that it only describes a small part of the craft. According to Bloomridge, the whole chapter was a detailed description of an encounter with a UFO. So, let's read it. And and you can go online and look at Bloomridge. And his uh, analysis, he goes verse by verse through this chapter and gives a pretty plausible um, look from a modern perspective about what may be Ezekiel's trying to explain in an ancient perspective of possibly seeing what might have been a, a modern aircraft that came down. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chabar, now this is during the Babylonian captivity. That the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north... A great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself. And brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Now, Bloomrich considers this the thrusters coming down on some kind of a, you know, kind of heavenly vehicle. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just telling you what he writes. Also from within came the likeness of four living creatures... And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces and each one had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. And he says that's like a landing apparatus coming down. Again, I'm not saying I agree with that. That's just his analysis. The hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides. And each of the four had four faces and wings their wings touched one another the creatures did not turn when they went and each one went straight forward as for the likeness of their faces each had the face of a man each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side each one had the face of an ox on the left side and each of the four had the face of an eagle thus were their faces their wings stretched upward two wings of each one touched one another and two covered their bodies. Let me just tell you what I think and I'll read a little bit more. But what I believe is happening is we're seeing heavenly beings that we read about, especially in Revelation. We're getting ready to study Revelation, you know, this fall. And we're going to see some other um, looks at cherubim and seraphim and, and the angelic beings that enter into the three-dimensional world from time to time. That John saw on the island of Patmos and then Ezekiel is here. So, the reason I'm reading this to you is because we know that demons are rebellious angels. And so, as we look at what we're hearing, and the appearance of these beings that people are reporting, there certainly would lend credence to the fact that they could be demonic. Let's go down then to verse uh, 16. The appearance of... Oh, no, no, no. Let's start at verse 15. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel... So, here's the saucer part... Was on the earth beside each living creature with the four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of beryl And all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. So there's this wheel whirling and a wheel inside the wheel. When they moved they went toward any one of the four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. As for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were also lifted up. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went because they were there, the spirit went. And the wheels were lifted together with them for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. When these stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Now, I believe this is exactly what scriptures say. I believe this this is the spirit of God at work. All I'm saying, what God creates is always good. But what the enemy does, he can't create anything. But he impersonates what God creates. So what he does in the area of the sexual area is he he takes a beautiful thing and then he impersonates it and makes it into something that can actually ruin our lives if it's, if it's misapplied and misused. And so right here we see something that could be impersonated, something that could be misguided by the enemy. Now, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 6. And because of time, I'm not going to go into as much, I'm not going to talk so much about this, but this is also... One of the stranger passages in scripture, Genesis 6, and this is referring to the Nephilim. In doing research on this, there's actually some skulls that have been found with horns coming out. Human skulls with horns. There's human skulls that are twice the size of your skull that have been found. The Nephilim, according to this passage, were giants in the land. So look at Genesis 6. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. And daughters were born to them. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men. That they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Verse 3. And the Lord said my spirit shall not strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who are of old, men of renown. Now Chuck Mitzler and others have have referenced this, believing that there's actually a race of people on the earth, of the Nephilim, that are even here today that are... Um, humans that have had sexual relations with demons and have born children and that they're among us. And the restrainer, the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, the restrainer talked about in 2 Thessalonians, holds back their evil. But in the latter days, that evil, that restraining will be lifted and we will see upon the earth a great uh, move of the Nephilim, demonized people that are of a different race. So what about haunted houses? Let's just move on to haunted houses. Um, is there such a thing? I want you to, before you, before you go to that, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Cryptic passage, but very important. This was a passage I used a lot in Japan in dealing with the butsudan, dealing with idolatry. Because many Christians in Japan still have idols in their home. They've inherited them from their family. And, um, and I had, I became very unpopular um, in certain churches because of this teaching. But I'll just give you the passage. I'm not going to do the teaching, but it, re, it relates to this same issue. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 19, Paul, i talking about idolatry, says this. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything... Or what is offered to idols is anything. Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice. They sacrifice to demons. And not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Now when you look at commentaries. And when you study this passage. What Paul is saying is that there's nothing inherently evil about an idol. Because he's talking about, he's talking about, uh, he's talking about uh, meat sacrificed idols and things like that. Well, he says, and it's not that, that there's a God, there's, there's no other God but the one God. My issue, he's saying, is that behind that worship of that idol, behind that idol is a demon. There's a demon inhabiting the idol. There's a demon there. So you're worshiping demons, you're giving sacrifices to demons. So it is apparent here that demons can inhabit inanimate and animate objects. We see all through the Old Testament, my son and I were talking about it on the way here, how the kings are commended in scripture for the destruction of the high places where the um, Asherah and where uh, the Baal worship was occurring in the Canaanite, among the Canaanite religions and Canaanite gods. They wanted to wipe out these Canaanite God temples, these high places where they worshiped. And I believe because there was demonic power there. How many of you have gone into a home or a room or a place and you feel a heaviness? You feel something there, it just it's, it's odd. You know, almost all of you in the room have felt that. So have I. And so, and so I believe... That houses can be inhabited by demons. They're not ghosts. You, I don't care if you call them. You can call them ghosts. But they are haunted. They are, they are inhabited by. And I don't think most of the time. They're constantly inhabited by. Demons aren't that dumb. Demons have enough intelligence. To work through a house. And not uncover their existence. As easily as you know, the movies might make you think. And so, look at Leviticus 14. So go back to the Old Testament, Leviticus 14. And this is a really key passage, and we'll pick it up a little more next week um, because we're running out of time here. But Leviticus 14 is very interesting. Before I read it, let me read what Kiel and Delich, C.F. Kiel and his commentary on Leviticus. And just so you guys know if you haven't been to seminary or anything like that yeah, i think we have some seminarians in here but um Kiel and delitz i mean these guys are bulletproof i mean these are these are great commentators this is these would be the guys you'd want to go to when you're studying greek and hebrew and you really want a solid evangelical conservative commentary Kiel and Delich are great but this is what they write about this passage we're going to we're going to read the only thing that can be gathered from the signs mentioned is that the house leprosy was an evil? For although it is primarily in the human body that sin manifests itself, it spreads from man to the things which he touches, uses, inhabits. Though without our being able to represent this spread of a physical contagion, pretty interesting. I mean, we're not, this is not I don't, this is not a bunch of pentecostals this is some great commentators who think deeply about issues and what we're going to read they're saying look this leprosy house is more than just a physical mold or something over it there's something evil about it thus the priest has to come and cleanse the house so let's look at it it's leviticus 14 starting at verse 33 and the lord spoke to moses and aaron saying When you have come into the land of Canaan, which I gave you as a possession, and I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there is some plague in the house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to examine the plague, that all that is in the house may not be made unclean, and afterward, the priest shall go in to examine the house. And he shall examine the plague. And indeed, if the plague is on the walls of the house, which with ingrained streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house for seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread under the walls of the house... Then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague. And they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around. And the dust that they scrape off they shall pour out in an unclean place outside of the city. Verse 44. Then the priest shall come and look. And indeed if the plague has spread in the house. It is an act of leprosy in the house. It is Now jump down to verse 48. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague is not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the plague is healed. And he shall take, and this is really interesting, to cleanse the house, two birds, cedar wood, scarlet and hyssop. He shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. He shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the living bird. And dip them in the blood of the slain bird and in the running water. And sprinkle the house seven times. And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water and the living bird. Well, it doesn't take much to... For you that know God's word to see that, as we often say, Old Testament concealed, New Testament revealed. That this is a picture of the blood of Christ and the sacrifice. And so there's obviously a spiritual nature to this leprous house that needs to be cleansed by the priest to make it clean. And we're going to talk about this next week. The importance of the blood of Christ over your homes. And anointing the doorposts of your home, anointing the rooms of your home for the cleansing of your house. That there can be an evil within your home. There can be an evil from someone else who lived in your home that brought it in and it's never been expulsed. It's never been delivered out of your house. And we're going to talk more about that next week. So four points here at the end Number one, spirits of evil can be attached to a home. There can be, Isaiah 61.3 speaks of the spirit of heaviness. The spirit of heaviness. Number two, a priest being called in to purify the house. You guys, every one of you here that love the Lord, you are priests. Number three, they anointed blood over the home. And it's important that we anoint the blood of Christ over our homes. And then fourthly, and I'll tell you more stories next week about it. A house can be transformed. A family can be transformed by warring in the spirit. And I want to talk a lot about what Liz and I have been doing over the last nine months. Over our home and our family of warring in the spirit. That's going to be next week. But let me conclude with a story this this goes back a long time ago. This was uh, 21 years ago, and we were no 24 years ago. We were living in Okinawa, Japan, and uh, we had been involved in casting out demons out of a number of folks. And uh, one of the people that we had dealt with on the demonic rim, where we had cast a demon out of, was one of the leaders of a, of, of the leading denomination of Okinawa. So this was not good. Uh, we, had, we had cast several demons out of the leader of the Christian denomination in um, Okinawa. So word kind of got out. And uh, one, of the, one of the top pastors um, came to us secretly. And, uh, and I haven't shared this story very often because I wanted to protect the guilty. Um, but the reality is, is that nobody remember it now anyway, I don't think. And I don't think any of you guys are going to run back and tell anybody because I'm not going to give any names. But this leader was a key leader of one of the key churches of the key denominations in Okinawa. And this denomination basically had the most churches and the largest churches on the island. And this this pastor came to us and he said, don't tell anybody, but this is so weird. And I've been hearing about what you guys have been doing. But um, uh, my daughter, who was coming to the Campus Crusade meeting, so that's how he found out. My daughter keeps having visions of... This person before a altar praying in this room in our house. And there is a a heaviness over our house. Everybody's had nightmares and dreams for the last 10 years. We lived in this house for 10 years. And almost every night everybody has a nightmare. And we prayed about it. They never go away. But we don't have the nightmares when we're not at the house. And just recently she had this vision dream, whatever you want to call it. I don't even remember what they call it because I I don't even sometimes know what to call it, whether it's a vision or a dream or whatever, um, that she saw this three women praying before an altar and then it disappeared like three times. So I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, well, would you come pray over our our house? And I said, well, let me, would you do this? Would you do the research on where your house is built? Is there anything significant? Because I was new to Okinawa. And, and there's was, there was so much of shamanism and animism in, on the islands out there on the South China Sea and all of that. That we were pretty heavy at that time into doing research on different islands. And what kind of shamanism had happened there. So I invited him to do that. And he did. And he came back. And he, he said, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what? He said, this particular area, this ground where our house is built was the temple... Of the king of Okinawa in the 16th century where he kept his priestesses. Which we now call in Okinawa, Yutas. So the Yuta, you know about the Utah, right? Okay. So the Utah would be like a channeler. They, they spirit channel. Spirits. And they're still all over the islands. And aren't they still all over the villages in different places now? They're still there, right? The Utah? Okay. This is a couple that I've known for years that are visiting tonight from Okinawa. And so, uh, so don't go back and tell this story, okay? <laughs> now, Sam and Meg, Sam and Meg already know this story. I think they remember it. So he said, this was the actual ground where they were housed. And I went, oh, that's crazy. So we went into the house, about four of us, and we began to pray room to room the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and to cast out any spirits of shamanism, any spirits of the ancient Okinawan religions out of this house in the name and the blood of you. We took captive that house. We came into the main room, which was the room where she had seen the vision, and smoke began to form in the room. It was weird. It's like so smoke is forming in the room. Smoke is forming up, and there's no fire, and there's no smell of smoke, but there is definitely... Ooh, man, there's smoke in the room. And like, and there's no central heating, by the way, in Okinawa. So there, there, nothing was on fire, and, but there's this smoke. And as we began to continue to cry out in war over this house, the, the smoke began to form into the center where we were. And we cast it out in the name and the blood of Jesus and kept casting it out, and it disappeared. And they never had another bad dream. They never had a nightmare. They never had another vision there again. It was cleansed. And that's the truth. <laughs> and it's not like what my, bro- my, my son Josh said, my 13 year old. Did I tell you this guy, some of this story? It's a hilarious story. So, so, probably about two or three months ago, we were somewhere and Josh was there with his sister. We were in a hotel. We were staying in a hotel. And Liz and I could hear their conversation. And I just love when I love to get into my kids' conversations when they don't know I'm there. I want not know what they're talking about, you know? So here's a 13 year old and a 10 year old sitting in bed. And Charity goes, Well, so and so said and tells him this elaborate story about something. And she said that that is, that is the truth. And that is absolutely the truth. And then Josh said, Anybody who says to you, Charity, that that is the truth, it's probably not. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so as soon as I said that, I went, oh, no. I just discredited myself. But that's what happened. And so next week, I want to talk more about how to cleanse our homes, how to, how to war in the spirit for your family, for the salvation of those in your home that might not know the Lord, for stuff that's happening in your home that's, that's, uh, that's not good. And that you guys, especially you men, you men in this room, have been given spiritual authority over your homes. You've been given spiritual authority over your family. You say, well, I'm not very, you know, I've got a lot of issues. Yeah, that everybody does. But I'm telling you, if you'll start to understand your authority in Christ and who you are in Christ, you can take authority over your house. You can take authority over your your kids. And with the blood of Jesus, you can see great, great victory. But you're going to have to war.
0: You have been listening to The Road, with pastor teacher, Steve Holt. We pray that you've been blessed by the message today. Our hope is to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ, and that's why we teach the Word of God verse by verse, scripture by scripture, and precept upon precept. We're excited about all the things God is doing in the lives of our faithful listeners. We understand that there are many trials and tribulations in this world, Love to be able to pray for you as you encounter difficult times. Please drop us a note and let us know how we can pray for you. Write us at The Road, P.O. Box 88485, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80908. If you've been blessed by this message, please let us know as well. Again, the address is The Road, P.O. Box 88485, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80908. If you're in the area, please stop on by and join us at The Road for our Saturday night service at 6 p.m. We meet at Chapel Hills Church, located at 2025 Parliament Drive, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80920. In addition, you can find out more about The Road by going to our website at theroadcs.org. That's theroadcs.org. Make sure you follow us on Facebook as well, that's facebook.com slash theroadcs. If you tweet, you can join the conversation with us at Road Companions. As always, we covet your prayers. Thanks again for tuning in today. And be sure to catch us again next time for another edition of The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt.